The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Say what you want about this market. It always lets you in. You just have to be willing to take the chance. If you do, sometimes you can make a great deal of money. But you need to believe. You need to have conviction or else it's impossible to pull the trigger. Now, today, tech unraveled with Dow advancing 80 points. The S&P slipping 0.25%, but the Nasdaq plunging more than 1%. We'll get to that in a moment. First, though, let's do something positive. I want to talk about a couple of other stories, stories that show you what happens when you invest in well-known, great American companies with beaten down stocks. Investing 101 for all I've had deal with stocks uh, that go down. And this time, after you listen to what I'm about to say, you will know what to do. And you'll never view a downturn the same again. So let's start with the start of the day. And that's Charitable Trust core holding Johnson & Johnson. For as long as I've been in the business, J&J has been a great stock to own. There's a reason it has a AAA credit rating, even better than the U.S. government. But a couple of years ago, we started hearing about a link between J&J's talcum powder and ovarian cancer. Specifically, claims that their talc had traces of asbestos in it. And asbestos, of course, is one of the most dangerous chemicals ever, okay, from a health perspective, and in this case, from a legal risk perspective, too. If your company sells a product that turns out to contain asbestos, it's almost impossible to beat the lawsuits, especially if there are any smoking gun memos in your files from someone in authority who might have even posited that there could be a tiny amount, just a trace of asbestos in an occasional patch, a batch of the product. And posit they did it, J&J, as any thorough company would have people do it. Now, you might remember J&J's former CEO, Alex Gorsi, coming on this show to deny the allegations, allegations that have been repeated endlessly by the press, particularly by Reuters in a series of deep investigations and multiple follow-ups. No matter. Once the drumbeat starts, it's very easy for plaintiff's lawyers to recruit very, very sick people, people whom juries understandably find very sympathetic. Who wouldn't? 
Whether or not J&J's towel contained asbestos, you don't want to fight that kind of case in court if you can avoid it, because the plaintiffs are people you just want to help in any way you can, even if J&J may not have had asbestos in their powder. At the time, we chose to buy the stock from Chapel Trust. Take a little risk there, which you can follow by joining the CMEC Investing Club, because we thought there was no way J&J could be permanently impaired by these claims. And when our view triumphed, we thought the stock would soar. Management believed they had a clever path out of the jam, creating a bankrupt entity funded with cash that could be used to directly pay the aggrieved, something a federal bankruptcy judge in New Jersey was willing to sign off on. We saw it as an amazing opportunity because the litigation was keeping a lid on what we thought would be a terrific stock once Johnson Johnson finished splitting into a consumer packaged goods company. You think about that, it's Neutrogena, Band-Aids, uh, Tylenol, and a separate pharma and medical device business, a pristine one. With the stock at about 170 when we started buying, we had visions of $200 dancing in our heads. But then the Third Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that J&J's bankrupt spinoff gambit was illegal. And the next, you know, the stock's in the low 150s. So the Chapel Trust was sitting on a huge loss and one that, com- that pained me nightly. The house of pain. And this is when it pays to have conviction in amazing American companies. Because we knew that J&J would be smart enough to come up with a way to preserve their franchise. Why? Because that's what they've always done. They've always been bankable. Bankable companies tend to stay backable. And sure enough, last night at the close of trading, J&J announced a settlement with the, with the most of the tout claimants, what we call supermajority. Now, the cost is almost $9 billion. I know, a lot of money. But that's not what's important for you as a stockholder. What matters is the existential threat to the enterprise has now been taken off the table. So now the stock is free, at least to run above the $168 level where it was trading when the bankruptcy gambit was struck down. Although I think it can work its way back to 186 It's peaked for nearly a year ago. And I, you know what? After the split up, I think it'll exceed that level. And that's why I told club members to buy it aggressively, even up here at 165 Second one. This is one that I think is so sensational. I've been saying it. I was early, then I was late, then I was early again, and I'm talking about Eli Lilly. Not that long ago, do you know that Eli Lilly was the single worst performing stock of the S&P 500 at one point this year? The worst. Yep, number 500, having fallen, and the stock stock having fallen from 375 down to 310. Why? Really no reason whatsoever other than it moved up too much in anticipation of a potentially revolutionary diabetes and maybe weight loss drug called Mungiarno. We all thought it was going to charge hard out of the gate. And that's the reason why people are excited. I mean, this thing can cause 15% weight loss in a very short period of time. But it hasn't been approved by the FDA for weight reduction yet. Even as a competing drug, Wegovi from Novo Nordisk has. So the stock got ahead of itself, and it was crushed as investors started believing that the Fed can engineer a soft landing, which makes the defensive drug stocks, as we know, much less attractive. People can't flee these stocks fast enough sell, in a rotation. Sell, 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 sell. Once again, though, you had to buy the dip. Why? Because it's Eli Lilly. And Eli Lilly's not a one-trick pony. It's also working on a revolutionary Alzheimer's drug that we heard today from one research house that could pop the stock by 10%. Now, Louis is all the way back to 362, erasing that whole decline. We're, we're only on day two of a rotation into the safety stocks. They usually last three to four days and then rest. I think that's going to happen again. Finally, there's one of my favorites for all of 2023, and that's Procter & Gamble. Coming in this year, Procter & Gamble got 
three big breaks. Cost of transportation peak, cost of raw ingredients plummeted, and the dollar stopped going higher. And yet, what did the stock do? Well, despite all these positives, the stock got body slammed. Why? Rotation. Now, with the yield of the 10-year Treasury at a multi-month low, meaning less competition for Proctor's 2.4% yield, there is a grudging recognition that this stock could just be too cheap. Sure, at $151 as well, if it's last month's lows of $136, but we still haven't even heard a peep out of a single analyst saying good things. I think Procter goes higher, maybe much higher, as it's the, it's the king of consumer products goods, and its costs are coming down, but it ain't going to cut the price to you at the supermarket. What do all these things have in common? How about the fact that they're amazing American companies with stocks that get cheaper as they go down? And that's something you can't say about commodity producers or companies with hideous balance sheets, or certainly not with tech startups with no earnings and definitely not of anything that's enterprise software. Now, as I told listeners of our home stretch program for the CNC, CBC Investing Club, that's, it, it, it runs around 2.30. We're on watch for the best techs that are being put through the rotational meat grinder because they'll be next. They're the next Lily, Procter & Gamble, and J&J. Buy low to sell high. How, how, now, it's a little trickier because they haven't come in much yet. It's too early. But what matters is we're only on day two of the tech sell-off. Many of these are just getting hit. Oh, they're going to roll over. you got plenty of time. We know what to buy on the way down because we genuinely know what's doing well. It's in Microsoft, NVIDIA, AMD, Apple, just to name a few. We have many more for the club. Now, there are some areas that are just untouchable regardless of how low they go. I'm, I'm not going to tell you to buy any banks. They're the reason why we have the storm rotation. The uh, bankers were fools, regulators knaves. And there are other areas that I think are just too hard because you might have some multi-day underperformance, many of the industrials. People are worried about potential order decline because we haven't seen any signs of it yet. I'd argue many of the industrials will do just fine even in a slowdown because there's so much federal largesse headed their way. But their stocks are still at, at risk. Of course, there's nothing more unnerving than buying a stock on the way down. But these terrific American companies, they're not falling knives. They're shares of incredible businesses that got too cheap. They got too cheap because every now and then the market throws an absurd sale like we had this very winter. Bottom line, sometimes you just need to hold your nose and buy. Just be sure you don't start too early. And remember, this method only works if the companies are making money, their balance sheets are good, managers have experienced downturns, and have come out on the other side. That's what you buy. Jeff in New York, Jeff. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good, Jeff. How about you? Good, a big fan. And I just wanted to ask you, I know you've kind of touched on this in the past, but with Nat Gas. Um, last year in December, when it was, you know, up at 10 or whatever it was, it looked like manipulation from hedge funds, et cetera. Um, they didn't get away with it, obviously, and now it's down at 2. And it looks like the same thing's happening down here. And that, um, I'm just wondering your opinion on where you see it going if you think this is natural moving with Freeport sure, being Sure, no, Jeff. We had EQT on recently, and I, I, I'm really close to natural gas industry. And I would tell you this. I think that $2 is still not the floor. I think you probably go to $1.75. That's about where everybody starts saying, you know what, we can't be getting money here at all. Until Freeport, the giant LNG facility, will start going in full, and the world isn't so full of natural gas. But we need a real hot summer to get that baby back to 3 bucks. Real hot. Right, sometimes you just need to hold your nose and buy into weakness of only high-quality companies. We did it with the drugs. We're soon going to do it with the tax. Not yet. Man money tonight. The consumer package good space has been heating up. So fresh up the earnings, I'm going to be learning about ConAgra and what they see. Then we're continuing our series on value versus value trap by taking a look at the steel players to see if they're worth owning. And FedEx. FedEx has a new plan, combining all of its operating businesses into one. I'm going to sit down with the CEO to find out more, so stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This morning, we've got a real important quarter from ConAgra Brands. CAG, the packaged food powerhouse you know as Birdseye, Marie Calendar, Healthy Choice, Slim Jim, Orville Redenbarger, Hebrew National, and many others. I say it's important because food inflation remains stubbornly high. Packaged food, arguably the worst component, got to get these prices down. Technically, ConAgra posted a mixed set of numbers with slightly lower than expected organic growth. But their margins came in extremely strong, which allowed them to deliver a 12-cent earnings beat off a 64-cent basis. Same time, management slightly lowered the full-year organic growth, but uh, it raised their earnings forecast. Basic story here is that ConAgra's price increases have hurt fives, but not enough to put a dent in their dramatically increased profitability. They had 31% earnings growth, for heaven's sake. No wonder the stock rallied today. So can they continue with this trajectory? Let's check in with Sean Conley. He's the president and CEO of ConAgra Brands. Get a better in the quarter. And what's next, Mr. Conley? Welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. All right, so this was a, a difficult quarter for most people who are not in the business to understand because you spent a huge time talking about something called elasticity. Unless you took it in economics or listened to your call, what you might not realize is that when you raise price, you lose some volume, but you lost far less volume than your competitors on the price increases. Well, it's hard to believe, Jim, but we've had roughly 30% cost inflation over the last three years, and that equates to almost $2.5 billion in cost inflation. And when that happens, you've got a price to protect margins because margins are the things that, that's the money that fuels your innovation program. And that's what we're all about at ConAgra is innovation and sustainable growth. But you have to recover margins in order to do that, and you've got to take price. Now, you do plan for some volume loss temporarily as consumers adapt to that new pricing. But as you point out, the elasticities of demand or the consumer response to the higher pricing has been benign versus historical norms. And that's why we were able to 
recover as much margin as we did for the second straight quarter and raise our profitability guidance on the year. And sales still remain strong. Our outlook for the full year for sales is still seven to seven and a half percent growth. And that's a very strong year. But you sound like, as you promised when you're on last, that really you don't need any more price increases, but you're not seeing the raw costs go down yet. Yeah, that's an important distinction because a lot of people are talking about deflation. Well, deflation isn't here yet. We're in the back half of our fiscal year. In the back half of our year, we're still averaging about 6% inflation. So that's inflationary. We don't need to take additional pricing to cover that at this point. The pricing that we have in the market should be sufficient. Now, let's hope we don't get another spike in inflation, but right now we don't see it. So inflation is moderated. The pricing actions for now are done. We're ramping up our productivity programs. And what that means is we can get back in the business of driving the business through growth and innovation. All right, so let's drill down because I want people at home to to like your stock as, because as I have for many years since you came in. I want to talk popcorn. Okay, people, because it's a great microcosm of what you're doing. People are snacking more at home. It's obviously cheaper to go stay home, have dinner at home, watch Netflix rather than go out. But they are using every single one of your different kinds of popcorns, both Angie, but also the the microwave. Tell us about innovation there, because people don't realize you are innovative. Yeah, we've got one of the biggest popcorn platforms in all of North America. And frankly, we've had two structural headwinds since COVID that has helped our business, especially in frozen and in snacking on businesses like popcorn. And those structural uh, or tailwinds, rather, those tailwinds are more working from home, which helps our frozen lunch business and more entertainment at home. People aren't going out to the theater as much. They're streaming their, their shows at home. And when they do that, they snack at home. And what's better when you're watching something on TV at home than to make popcorn out of a bag with Angie's Boom Chicka Pop, our new Act 2 Butter Lovers. You would you would be a big fan of that. And, of course, microwaving Orville Redenbacher. All that's a bu- great. I suggest that you, you, you binge watch Mayor of Kingstown, get one of our new Act 2 Butter Lovers popcorn, and you'll be off to the Were races. Were you in my house? I did it, and I used some of those new popcorns that you sent me, and that's what we did. And, and by the way, let's hope that Renner comes out of all this so we have a sequel, right? We need him to come back and Absolutely. come back strong. Now, uh, I, I want to go over uh, a couple of things that I think pe- people don't realize. You sent us a boatload of crazy seeds. My kids love them. I never thought of eating a seed in my life. I plant them. You know, I like to grow. Talk about the seed category, which has exploded. Well, seeds are a phenomenal business. With this whole low-carb movement, people want protein in their snacks and they want to manage carbs. And we've got two of the best businesses to deliver on those benefits. We've got Slim Jim and Duke's Meat Sticks, and we've got our seeds business with the great David brand and also Biggs. And seeds, you know, hit a rough spot during COVID because a lot of the seed usage is this time of year in baseball season. And if you think about it, during COVID, baseball teams weren't out on the field. So that really hurt our seeds business when we lost a season or two of baseball. Well, now baseball is back and our seeds business is back as well. Okay, so Sean, just to wrap up, uh, what I see here is is that you have been able to to take the cost. Margins are coming through. I always love the fact that you like dividends and that this yields one of the highest yields in the category. I know it's up to the board, but when I see these numbers, I'm thinking, stay tuned. We could get a dividend increase here. Yeah, that's always been part of our playbook, Jim. Strong dividends, occasional buybacks, occasional bolt-on acquisitions. It's all fair game, and uh, and we hear you, and we, we like to pay out a healthy dividend, and that's what we do. Well, that's why we like your stock. 
I like to sleep at night, too, which I can do. And send those other popcorns to everybody. Put them in the store. They're dynamite. And we'll watch the sequel with Jeremy Renner. I promise. Okay? Excellent. Excellent. Sean Colley's presidency of ConAgra Brands. It was a nice quarter. Good dividend. And sleep at night. No banks here, by the way. No regional banks with this man. Just straight out money. Stay with Kramer. Coming up, is there value in metal? Or are these stocks just a steel trap? Kramer pours over P.E. ratios. Next. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis, 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. All week, we've been highlighting this cyclical series where stocks seem absurdly cheap, trading at single-digit price-to-earnings multiples, something that usually represents real value, right? But often they're value traps, a term you hear on air quite a bit, but it seems to elude many of you. And I don't blame you. It's real hard. So let's talk about a group that is viewed as quintessential value trap on the street. Let's talk about the steelmakers. The steel business seems so simple, doesn't it? You take some iron, some coal, you melt it down, smash it into shape, sell them for more than your raw costs. Very economics 101. In reality, though, the steel business is tremendously complex with a huge amount of technology. You need to satisfy many masters with various different grades, all while monitoring for subsidized imports from countries that are eager to wipe us out. And most important, you got to spend, spend, spend to keep up to date. Let's you become like the legion of steelmakers that failed this country because they overpaid on labor and underpaid on digitization and automation. Back when I worked at Goldman Sachs, we were taught the steel industry what matters is leverage. They have huge fixed costs. Building and maintaining a steel mill ain't cheap. But as the price of steel rises, that means their earnings can grow exponentially higher because of those fixed costs. And that's how the old Bethlehem Steel could see its earnings, say, jump from one year, two bucks, to next year, ten times that. By the same token, though, when steel prices go down, the earnings can evaporate overnight. 
And Bethlehem Steel, sadly, it couldn't keep up with the times. It was so bloated, so poorly run, overpaid its executives, so short-sighted. It's amazing these guys actually held out to 2001 before filing for bankruptcy. We lived close by the headquarters at one point in my life, and a cat adopted us. We named her Bessie. Yeah, that's the old nickname for Bethlehem Steel stock. I like to name my pets after my best trades. Back then, we made a fortune shorting Bethlehem Steel aggressively. Uh, this was a year where they were, the street expected them to earn $25 a share. But the company actually ended up losing money. That's a value trap. Ever since then, I have been deeply suspicious of the earnings estimates for all steelmakers. They're just too hard to calculate, with the sole exception of Nucor. The biggest and the best, with 50 straight years of dividend boost. This is a steel company, perfect balance sheet, superior technology. Nucor outlasted pretty much all the other American steelmakers. Sure, U.S. steel still exists, and sometimes it does well. But the days when Hyman Roth could crow to Michael Corleone, we are bigger than U.S. steel, seem downright quaint. Just the Godfather 2 laugh line for the remaining few who follow the steel industry. However, in the last few years, a new player has arrived on the scene. Well, not really new, because its name is... Cleveland Cliffs, and that was around since 1847. Originally, it was an iron mining company, but it's now number two in the steel industry after a takeover spree that took its revenues, get this, from $2 billion in 2019 to $23 billion last year. Bigger than Hyman Ross Miami Syndicate. I want to consider Nucor and Cleveland Cliffs for tonight's value tasks, okay? Value versus value traps, because they're fascinating contrasts that both seem strangely misunderstood by the experts who cover them. But sorry, you know what? They don't have a lot in common. Cleveland Cliffs is an amalgam of companies that were recently acquired, including ArcelorMittal USA and AK Steel, two firms many thought were just wasting assets not that long ago. But under the brilliant and dynamic leadership of CEO Lorenzo Gonzalez, this amalgamation of work uh, is it is just working. Cleveland Cliffs dominates auto industry steel. Amazing. And it's nicely profitable in that business. They make flat rolled carbon steel, stainless steel, electric plate, a tin plate, among other grades. While the business is still deeply cyclical, it's not some lousy commodity steel maker anymore. Not just anybody can make this stuff. There's a mode here. Plus, they spend fortunes paying down debt for their two big acquisitions and reduced unfunded pensions. They are justifiably proud of those achievements. Nucor, on the other hand, is even cyclical. It's a growth company. It's a growth company in the steel business. Nucor's got all sorts of specialized grades that can be used for everything from towers to bridges to non-residential construction, consumer durables, oil and gas, warehouses, and, of course, the auto industry. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a proprietary steelmaker, but it's as close as one you're ever going to get. Here's what Nucor and Cleveland Cliffs do have in common, though, and this is what you should care about. They both trade at hideously low price-to-earnings multiples. Cliff sells for six times trailing earnings. Nucor at five times. That's because neither company can seem to prove to analysts that they'll do just fine in a downturn, like the coming one. I find both those multiples insulting, even as I recognize that estimates have to come down for these two if the economy keeps slowing, because even as Cliff's got price increases from the auto companies for steel, the other grades could get hurt badly, and Nucor just had the lower numbers since they announced their numbers a few weeks ago. Wall Street's convinced that Cleveland Cliffs, which made $5.35 per share in 2021 and then $2.55 last year, will only earn $2.04 this year, despite managers' protestations to the contrary. They said they could have a much better year. Nucor actually had its best earnings year ever in 2022, despite the Fed's repeated attempts to cool down the economy. That's extraordinary. These guys made $28.79 per share. Uh, the analysts expect that to almost get cut in half, down to $14.75. Then next year, they're only looking for $11.83. Wow. 
That's miserable. Look at that. Well, that's, isn't this there? Look what they can do. You can go from 28 to 14 to 11. That's what the street says they're going to do. Look, if you believe we can avoid a true recession this year and the auto sales will actually hold up, then Cleveland Cliffs between 15 and 16 bucks at a, with this kind of earnings estimate is still an okay to buy situation. There's so much skepticism about this company. But if the auto companies merely stay flat in their production, the price increases that they've been able to put through at Cliffs should lead to an up year for earnings, not a down year. That's it. If you're going to own a steelmaker, just go to the best. Just go to Newcorp. Because I think it's been set up for this moment. Sure, it came up a little short when it pre-announced earnings a few weeks ago. And it will be mighty hard to beat last year's incredible numbers. Can't really happen. But you never know with Newcorp. It's just that good. Last year, the most bullish analysts on the street thought it could earn more than no more than $12 a share. I'm sure that was the estimate. Yet it more than doubled that bullish analyst number. Plus, Newcorp keeps pushing the envelope with new plants of highly specialized steel and small acquisitions that are immediately additive to earnings. What I like best about it, though, is that when we start seeing all that federal infrastructure spending that's earmarked for bridges and roads and semiconductor plants, alternative energy systems, Newcorp will provide the lion's share of that steel. And that's where they really are. That's the sweet spot for them is the Fed money. Yes, 2023 may not be perfect, but the company will stand there and mint money and buy back stock while it waits. Do you know in the last seven years, Nucor's taken share count from 319 million to 255 million? And once we get to 2024, it's going to turn to a great secular green growth story. So then the question becomes, with all the great companies out there, why would you ever want to buy either one of these two? Well, if you think the economy can avoid a serious downturn and auto sales can stay strong, then you should consider Cleveland Cliffs because the CEO is a maniacal cost cutter who's developed a reputation for making quality steel. The leverage is there. They're going to make a killing if they can engineer soft landing. Newcore's different. You buy this one because, like any growth company, it continues to expand and improve in tougher times, creating better proprietary products and then using them to dominate niche markets. The idea that a steelmaker could have 50 consecutive years of dividend boosts, not cuts like the other guys, but boosts, while maintaining a beautiful balance sheet is unlike anything this challenging industry has ever seen. Bottom line, Cleveland Cliffs is a trade if you think Wall Street's underestimating the strength of this economy. But Nucor's a long-term investment for anyone who wants what's called a growth industrial. There are only a handful of smokestack stocks you can say that about in the entire world. And of those, Nucor may be numero uno. Let's go to Mac in New Jersey. Mac. Mac. Hey, Jim. Booyah, dude, from the beach in New Jersey. Which beach? Brielle. Oh, man, we got a place in Ocean Grove. Come by and see me. What's going on? Party. Thanks for having Mm -hmm. the little guys. That's it. That's what it's about. Because I was little, and, I, and I'm getting little as I get older, which is really kind of driving me crazy. What's up? Uh, you'll get back. Well, I bought some shares of Texas Instruments a few weeks ago, and the stock goes up and the stock goes down. I'm wondering, with chip manufacturing coming back to the U.S., should I keep riding the wave, or should I bail out? You must. Well, no, 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 no. You, want, you actually want to buy Texas. Here's why. Uh, because they are in the one part, Internet of Things, uh, industrial semis that have not had a downturn. And I actually don't think they're going to have one. I think you're in the sweet spot there. By the way, analog devices, I'm going to give you two for analog device because he's got, you know, got a place to be near me. Analog devices and Texas Instruments are both great. 
Cleveland Cliffs is a trade if you think Wall Street's underestimating the strength of the economy. Bye, bye, bye. And by new course, a long-term investment. House pleasure. For anyone who wants to grow industrial, much more made abundant. Pretty much just with FedEx. After announcing a consolidation effort that brings all the company's business units into one, I'm discussing the transformation plans with the CEO. Then the stock of on holding has been running. So could the company be the next Nike, or is that comparison just insane? I'll give you my take. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This will be the most exciting interview you have seen in a long time. Just over six months ago, FedEx new CEO Rob Subramanian came on our show. He issued a dire warning about the economy. He was ahead of everyone. FedEx had just pre-announced a large earnings shortfall. We thought we were witnessing the start of a worldwide recession. We did get a real early call about the slowdown. Next day, stock lost 21% of its value. Darn thing fell another 20 bucks before finding a bottom in September. What a buying opportunity. Border market did get obliterated. These guys started coming back. It was amazing. FedEx has now rallied. Get this, five of the last six months. It only went down in December. The stock is up 62% from September lows. In fact, it's up 25 bucks from where it was trading when he gave us that dire forecast. So what the heck happened? And what's going to happen in the future, which is far more important? We've got to speak to Raj Subramanian right now. Okay, so Raj, this was an incredible day. I'll tell you what. You tell me I'm wrong. I hear new CEOs come in all the time. It's always the same. We got cost cutting, cost cutting. This was not a cost cutting day. This was a reinvention day. This was a way to make a terrific company into something I've never seen before. Tell us about this, like you took it over, like you did an MA takeover of this company. Well, Jim, uh, it's a, thank you for having me on the show today. It's indeed a very exciting day for FedEx. We are on the cusp of our 50th anniversary. What we announced today was that we are consolidating our operating companies, FedEx Express, FedEx Ground, and FedEx Services into one company, which is FedEx Corporation, or under FedEx Express as a whole, whole company now. And uh, with one company, we are able to be much more effective and efficient in the way well, we... Well, that's separate there. Yeah. People need to know, you were not one company. We were no. listed on the conference board with three companies. It's just, it's done. Yes, uh, so this is going to be effective June 1 of 2024. And we'll, you know, we, as immediately, we're going to make the surface transportation in all of in North America uh, under one head, and all the airline and the uh, international business under the, under the head. This is very important for us because this is a critical enabler for the transformation program that is underway. And to get to this network 2.0 uh, in a couple of years, you know, just make it real for you. Uh, when you today, in many neighborhoods, you can see a FedEx Express van and a FedEx Ground van delivering residential packages. In this, in this new world, there'll be one van. There'll be one van, one neighborhood. Will that mean that the costs for each of these different companies comes under one roof? Digitization on the roof, procurement under one roof, savings, savings, savings. They, we're definitely going to get significantly more efficient. You said all the points here. We have common technology platform that enables us now to make this possible. And, uh, and then, of course, a lot of these corporate functions like procurement, technology, uh, you know, some of these you know, back office functions, now we are able to make it much, much more efficient but and effective. But the number you put out, you're talking about for drive, you're talking yeah. about $4 billion in savings? Most companies could never have that much in savings. Well, the $4 billion in savings happens because of the rigor and the urgency with which you're attacking. Right. 
you know, when, when I came on the show last time, I told you that, you know, we are seeing a slowdown in our economy. And we started, we, did, we made the determination then that we're going to come out of this stronger than we went in. And that we're going to take control of the things that we can control. That essentially became the way we work, and that became drive. And we have, we have proceeded with significant urgency, a lot of rapidity, to create these programs that we are confident that we can take out $4 billion of cost in fiscal year 25. Before we get to how you're doing that, you came here, you sat here, and you said, listen, Jim, I think there will be a recession. Everyone else was still thinking that things were just on this kind of uptick. Where are you now in terms of your view? Because you were so early and so right. Well, I think, you know, if you remember the conversation, there were three things that we talked about. One was that the industrial economy around the world was slowing down. Right. Second thing we said was the U.S. consumer was spending more on services versus products. And third, that there was an e-commerce reset from the highs of the pandemic. All those three things came true. In fact, because of that, our volumes went down significantly. But because of the work that we just did, you know, our third quarter results we announced in March, we were able to improve our operating margins in FedEx ground and FedEx freight despite significant declines in our volume. So that's the, the things that we focus on, the things that we control. And looking ahead, uh, I think the e-commerce reset is about done. We think we're flattening out right now. I do believe at some point here that it goes going to go back to the secular because trend. Because the 5%, I mean, come on, e-commerce, you have a very low ball number about e-commerce, or we're very worried, because I found it worrisome. That's all, that's all the pick up the, the company and your growth rate, 5%, that seems low to me. The e- what, what we're saying is on the e-commerce side of the equation is that e-commerce is going to represent 90% of the growth in the parcel business okay. uh, for, the next, uh, for the next five, 10 years. So that's that. That was the trend pre-pandemic, right. it, and I think we're going to get to that that kind of level but for the industry. You couldn't put through together that gigantic dividend increase if you weren't incredibly confident that this is actually going to be year after year a cost takeout. Yes. Uh, so well, when we are focused on our structural costs and get more efficient, you know, at some point uh, we're going to see the revenue picture turn around. If you look at our history of last 20 years. We have grown revenue between five and six and a half percent. So there is significant operating leverage uh, when the revenue comes back. Okay. Now you talked a lot about personal touch. You also talked about self improvement. You talked about the idea that the customer is right. The customer has to do a little more for himself, and you'll do more for them. I have here in my hand a list of of, of routes that I could buy. I could get a seven routes total revenue, two hundred thirteen thousand dollars listing price, one million dollars. Southern New York. Why should I take that in this? New- should I buy that route? Well, I think you should, Jim. Why? I think the, uh, this is now the contractor model that you're talking about. It's a great business. Uh, we, have see, we have created a lot of great business folks who, who now work for FedEx. But how can you trust those people? You don't know who they are. I take that over with my crew. Why would well, you let me do it? Well, we have, uh, you know, the service level standards are established ahead of time. Okay. And uh, so, we you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. All right, because I'm worried about touch, because you go over and over again, this is now going to be much more of a service business. And I want these people to understand what, you, what you're thinking. Well, Jim, you got to, the, the service levels are now at all, you know, pre-pandemic levels, our service standards are now better than our competition. And so we are actually starting to go back into a share gaining position, especially into the small and medium customers. Okay, now you do list interest rates as a risk, but you point blank say geopolitical. But in the the Q&A, I didn't get enough from that. Where are the real geopolitical risks for your company? Well, you know, we operate in 220 countries around the world. And so, you know, as you can imagine, 
today's situation is far different than what it was two, three, four, right. five years ago. But I have a fundamental belief that human beings at the end of the day, they love to trade and travel. Right. But systems like a mobile phone, which is already an order entry device, and systems like FedEx, which can get their products anywhere in the world, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be fine. They'll find their ways to trade and travel. There's a great video that Fred Smith put together about how you'll never, the moat, the iconic nature of yeah. FedEx. You come in and you have to protect that moat and what Fred built, because it's and I got it's an iconic company. But at the same time, you have to break some eggs to make this new omelet. Is it okay internally? What you're trying to do is revolutionary, but you are the best in the industry. So Jim, they, they, I can only do this because of the strong foundation that's been laid uh, over the last 50 years at FedEx. And we, you know, this is a company that has, just to give you an example, Jim, at the turn of the century, FedEx, uh, our share in the ground parcel business was only 10 points. Our competition was eight times bigger, eight times. And it was because of the innovative business models and the differentiation that we created that we were able to gain share every single quarter for so many years. Now with the emergence of e-commerce, we're building on the success that's been created over the last 50 years under Fred's great leadership uh, that we are now able to move to the the next level. This is an evolution story and uh, moving moving to this level at at the right time. Well, I disagree with you. I think it's a revolutionary story and it is going to be impactful and the numbers are going to be huge. And you got a great plan. Just well, a great plan. We're very, very excited. That's for you sure. You should be. Yeah, I'm going to go buy that route after I leave here. That's <laughs> Rod Superminium. He's the president CEO of FedEx. I'm telling you, you've got to redrive. This is not your usual cost-cut change. It's revolution within the most iconic company that's been built in our lifetime. May have money's back yet. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Dad, tell me the lightning round. Let's start with Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, Big Booyah from California. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Tyler. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Hey, I'd like to know, uh, I bought MPC around 114.97. We're at 132. What do you think? Marathon Petroleum. I like Marathon Pete. I think you're going to be able to deal with this. I know when OPEC raises prices, that's actually going to hurt the margins. But MPC is a very, very inexpensive stock and a very well-run company. I say stay long it. Let's go to Thomas in Georgia. Thomas. Hey, I'm looking to replace my Intel. I'm looking for um, above average yield cash flow that supports that yield and growth. What do you think about NXP Semi? I like NXP very much. Remember, it's more industrial. It's got a lot of auto. It's a rally of our own company. I think it's making a move. I'd make that move tomorrow. Let's go to Nick and Merrill. Nick. Yes. Booyah, Jim. <laughs> Booyah, Nick. Um, I, I'm looking at um, the stock I'm looking at is Johnson Controls International. Um, do you think I should uh, right, here's the problem with Johnson Controls. I, I mean, this is not exactly what you want to hear, but it's not as bad as it used to be. I just don't think that's his ringing endorsement. I'd rather see in train technologies or, ca- or carrier because I don't want to be in a company that's, wow, you know what? They're not as bad as they used to be. Let's go to David in Texas. David. Mr. Kramer, how are you? Hi. Uh, so I think my stock has got a 7% dividend. Uh, been around since 1958. I know they're in big trouble right now. How is T Corp? 
Okay, I don't think Chris Gorman and Keith Corpor are in bad trouble. I think they're not exactly in the best part of the range of the uh, of what I would look at the loan loss to growth of loans. But I don't think that Key's a bad company. I'm not recommending bank stocks, but I don't want to say that Key's in trouble or a bad company. It's a very good company. And if Chris would come on, he would hear good things from me, and I think he'd tell us good things in return. Let's go to Massachusetts with TJ Messages. TJ! Jim, some of the best money I ever spent was joining the club. Thank you for all you do oh, for us. Thank you. I'm working hard for that club. I love the home stretch, which comes in around two-ish. What's, what's up? Yeah, I've got an opening in my portfolio for a dividend-paying pipeline stock. What do you think about Plains All-American? Let's take a break on Plains All-American. I don't want to do that. If you're going to do that, you're going to need Enterprise Product Partners. I want to be in the natural gas liquid. It's a lot less, lot less uh, uh, angst. How about Bill in Florida? Bill. Hi, how are you, Jim? I'm pretty good. How about you, Bill? Doing excellent. I, I got a significant amount of shares invested in this company. That has a very young smart CEO that I met on 2016. It seems like it lost its mojo. Is it possible that a Sim 2 Nelson helps step up pressure on their board and turn things around? The company is Luminar, symbol L-A-C-R. Uh, I, I actually don't know who could turn that around. Uh, that's a kind of a not turnaround situation. I'm not going to let you be in that one if I can avoid it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer's got soul. Tongues are wagging while we lace up to find you a deal that kicks. Next. See these shoes? They represent one of the greatest dilemmas in investing of all time. These are on sneakers. They're comfortable and athletic. Feel great. More important for our purposes here on money, though, on holding has been a tremendous winner, at least until it got hit with a brutal downgrade this morning, sent the stock plunging 10%. Even after that decline, though, the stock's up 71% year-to-date and 90% from its lows in December. Which brings me to the dilemma. Do you bring the register here? Or... Well, do you let it run? Remember, nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. Banking with more upside in the future, though, could be incredible. First, a little background. I've been a gigantic supporter of on holding for all the reasons everyone else's. They fit the zeitgeist, and you can pretty wear, i tell you what, you can wear them to pretty much everything except your own funeral. The quarter they just reported was a gigantic upside surprise. Management seems like the kind of team that can roll out all sorts of sports shoes that can double as regular wear in the increasingly casual era. In the end, though, it's almost a faux astonishment because you see these things everywhere and you might have a pair yourself, maybe two. So you can almost expect a strong quarter that we just had, at least, if you have any interest at all in the booming footwear category. But what do you do now with it now that's been punched in the face? This morning, Bear, which had been very bullish, downgraded the stock, noting that it could go higher, maybe even as high as 40. However, with one holding at 32 last night, they didn't like the risk reward. Honestly, I agree. Owen Owens had a tremendous run and a very difficult year for stocks. Bear goes out of its way to be supportive. They like the fundamentals. They think companies that they, they think the concerns that the company might be over-distributing its products are overblown. Boy, you know what? They even mentioned Nike in the same breath. Although their takeaway is that this stock's expensive when you compare it to the market cap of Nike's. Anyone, by the way, besides me, excited for Air, the new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon movie about how Nike got its historic deal with Michael Jordan? Hey, speaking of endorsements, Roger Federer has a very close relationship with Lawn Holding. And while he's an amazing athlete, he's on Michael Jordan with a shoe that's outlived the man's on-court legacy by a quarter century. And yes, Jordan retired in, 80, in 98, I don't count the Wizards. I bet most young people around the world who actually wear Jordans 
don't even know who Michael Jordan is. Anyway, the trouble with on holding is that you can treat it as a trade or an investment. If it's a trade and you hang on, only see the stock return to the mid-20s, very bad. You're going to feel like a giant loser. And you are. But think as an investor, if you sell the stock here and don't get back into it fast enough at a lower level, I think you're going to miss out on a tremendous move in the next quarter because it could be like Nike or even just the next New Balance. Of course, you could always split the difference. Sell some up here to recoup your initial investment, then let the rest ride because you're playing with the house's money. In the end, a bit of a false construct. You have to realize the path to being the next Nike is riddled with companies that got it wrong. Reebok, Fila, Black Knight, most recently Under Armour with a shoe that's lost the teens. At least according to that Piper survey came out yesterday. No matter how much you like on holding, if you want to bet it'll be the next Nike, that is a long shot. One of the longest shots imaginable. It could more likely be the next Allbirds, a coveted shoe just two years ago that turned out to be a disaster for stock today. And that's why I think it's a great idea to take some profits on one holding here. In the end, though, I'm betting there's enough momentum that it's worth buying back the stock five bucks below these levels. I think you can get at least another year of upside before it runs out of steam. I told you it's a dilemma. But either way, if you bought on holding a few months ago, figuring out what to do now, let's just call it a high-quality problem. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.